Tegan, the impossible happened this week. Tell me, describe Chris. I felt bad for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers has spent 15 years, it's got to be personal, just making me feel horrible about the Chicago Bears. He has destroyed us every single time. I mean, you may or may not be aware, you know, one time in the last, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, after scoring a touchdown, taunted the Bears fans and said, I own you. Hard for me to find someone who I dislike more. And yet this week, of course, I felt bad for him and the Jets fans. Yeah, you have to feel bad for Jets fans. I tuned into Monday Night Football. I watched for about 10 minutes and I was surprised that I saw all of Aaron Rodgers' season in those 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, you, you did. Turns out you saw the highlights. First of all, you had to feel bad for Jets fans even before that game. If someone tells you they're a Jets fan, the only appropriate response is, I'm sorry. Exactly. And no, it just, exactly. it, it's just, like, it's like being a Mets fan. So you got the Jets and the Mets. And as we've discussed before, there's a remarkable overlap between the fan bases of those two teams, but they are very sad teams to be fans of, I have to say. It's just season after season of just disappointment. Yeah. And Tegan, besides Jets fans, you know who else has had a pretty rough week? Speaker Kevin McCarthy has had a that, very bad week. Is that the that, guy you're talking about? That would be Kevin McCarthy. At least as far as you and I know, his Achilles tendon is still attached, but the wheels are coming off. Everything else is falling apart. Why don't we start with something you wrote earlier this week? Representative Matt Gates threatened Speaker Kevin McCarthy in the House with a motion to vacate vote, but actually removing him would require a majority of the House. Since McCarthy can probably count on the support of 200 or more Republicans out of the 222 members of his caucus, that would mean nearly all Democrats would need to vote to oust McCarthy. One Democratic lawmaker splashed cold water on the idea, Axios reports, calling McCarthy the devil you know. Another anonymous House Democrat predicted some Democrats may support a motion to vacate, but most won't. But that, as you write, was before McCarthy directed three House committees to open an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. If Republicans try to remove McCarthy from the speakership, it seems much less likely that Democrats would support him. Now, to your credit, that's what you wrote on Tuesday. And since then, everything has seemed to prove that that is the direction that things are going. Your piece continued as Punchbowl News reports. There was a period of time after the debt limit deal when some Democrats privately signaled they'd back McCarthy if GOP hardliners tried to oust him for doing the right thing, as Democratic aides put it to us. That changes with the launching of an impeachment inquiry into Biden. And McCarthy's actions will have far-reaching implications for his relationship with House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. McCarthy may spend most of this month trying to hang on to his job. That's what you wrote. Then on Thursday morning, Punchbowl News writes, McCarthy Jeffries' relationship hits the skids. And later on Thursday, Punchbowl News wrote that Democrats won't save McCarthy. Senior Democrats who previously had told them they might help save McCarthy are now saying they will not. And Punchbowl News wrote, any potential Democratic assistance to McCarthy on this front evaporated with the start of the impeachment inquiry. So topic one, will Kevin McCarthy keep his job? Should he keep his job? What are the factors at play? I can't predict whether he will keep his job, but I will predict that he's going to spend the next three weeks trying to keep his job. We'll see what happens. McCarthy got in a very angry tiff with his caucus today in which he essentially dared them 
to put a motion to vacate on the floor. That's something that Matt Gates said that he's going to do every single day, starting as soon as next week. We're going to have the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we're going to have a motion to vacate the chair. So he is threatened strongly, and there are probably several dozen right-wing Republicans who are not happy with McCarthy because he does not address the spending issues that they consider so important. And so we're in a situation now where that may be what happens next week, is that all of a sudden there's a motion to vacate on the floor. There has to be a vote. It would be a simple majority vote, which means that if Democrats decided at any time to vote against McCarthy, he would lose his job. They probably have enough votes to do that. McCarthy's daring Republicans to do it because I think most people who take a look at the situation when they avoid some of the short-term political gains and getting yourself on Fox News or whatever, most Republicans realize that there is no one else in the caucus who can do that job any better. And probably there are others who could do it worse than McCarthy. It's an impossible job to keep that caucus together. And John Boehner saw it, Paul Ryan saw it, and now Kevin McCarthy is saying it. Does it matter if he keeps his job? It doesn't matter if Kevin McCarthy keeps his job. It matters that they have somebody to be speaker. And Kevin McCarthy took him 15 rounds of voting, as you recall, last January to just get the job. Matt Gates was one of the last votes to kind of come over and to finally allow McCarthy to take the gavel. His best defense is that the Republicans don't have anybody who's going to rise up. John Boehner could at least step aside because there was someone waiting in the wings who could be convinced that he wanted to be speaker, and that was Paul Ryan. This time round, the number two in the House, Steve Scalise, he has been seen this week walking with a mask on the floor of the House because he's fighting cancer right now. He's in cancer treatment. It's probably not the type of job that you want to take when your health is in jeopardy and that you're trying to fight blood cancer, which is what Scalise has right now. So it's not clear what other Republican might have the votes to actually take the job. I know Donald Trump would probably like Elise Stefanik, the New York congresswoman, but we'll see. Until they actually vote him down, McCarthy is still the man. So the two kind of rails, it seems, on this train line are the raising of the impeachment inquiry, which of course was meant to appease the hard right side of the uh, Republican caucus. And then of course the pending shutdown, but more directly funding bills that need to get passed in order to prevent the shutdown. So if you're a hardline Republican, do you care if there's not a speaker? You know, if you're Matt Gates and your whole thing is, McCarthy, you have violated the agreement, the handshake agreement that we had. You haven't cut the budget. You're not about to cut the budget. You use trickery to produce savings earlier in this term. And so for that small faction of Republican Congress people who are ride or die, cut the budget, doesn't having no speaker kind of help their case? Yeah, perhaps. But keep in mind that every single representative gets a vote. And I don't think Democrats are going to want a House with no speaker. So Democrats have some incentive to keep McCarthy in the chair so that the House doesn't just grind to a halt. You know, there are things that need to be done. You know, if they don't get a spending bill passed by the end of the month, there will be a shutdown. Punchball News, which tracks this closer than anybody, puts a government shutdown at about 75% right now. The question then becomes just how long does it last? How long does a shutdown last at that point? You know, there's only a handful of days left before they can actually get even a short term spending bill in to buy themselves more time. And it's very clear from the actions this week on the House floor that McCarthy does not have the votes for even 
in a short-term measure. He doesn't have the votes for a defense bill that typically is a bipartisan act. He doesn't have the votes for that. The Republican caucus is completely divided and Kevin McCarthy can't rein them in. And on the Democratic side, though, let's talk about the game of chicken that you're describing. If Punchbowl puts it at 75% probability of a shutdown, that I would think, given what you just said, means it's 75% probability that Democrats don't come in to save McCarthy's bacon, that they don't actually vote for some type of speakership for him, either because they don't want to help save him or because maybe there's something where they think, oh, well, even if we did save him, he's not going to agree to whatever spending we want. So why are we saving someone who's not going to be there to help get the budget that we want anyhow? What happens with this game of chicken? All the reporting is showing Hakeem Jeffries, McCarthy relationship on the skids. Democrats having shifted from, you know, yeah, we might want to save him because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. If that's going away and that's one side of the chicken game, and if the other side is government shutdown, do Democrats, you think, actually blink and somehow support him? That doesn't feel so probable. Is that still possible, you think? Just the basic politics of it. I mean, Democrats don't want to shut down. Most Republicans don't want to shut down. In terms of if there is a shutdown, however, the politics are such that the Democrats want to make sure Republicans are blamed for that shutdown. They want to make and sure doesn't that, that happen. Yeah. Doesn't that happen most probably if Republicans can't even elect a speaker? I mean, like, isn't that a really clear narrative? We'd love to pass a budget here, America, but our partners can't even elect a speaker. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the Democrats play that. Obviously, McCarthy is balancing a really tough situation here. And the Democrats may end up playing a role in this one way or another. I mean, McCarthy may need Democratic votes. He may need to give Democrats concessions to move forward on certain things. But at the end of the day, I think the Democrats look at this. They want to make sure Republicans are to blame. They want to make sure that the Republicans that represent swing districts, Democrats hope to win in 2024. They want to make sure that lawmakers in those seats are to blame for this so that they can take control of the House again. But it's impossible to really game everything out. So is it possible that we could be back in a situation where there's technically no speaker because McCarthy has been voted out and then Republicans need to then convene again to find a new speaker all while the government is running out of money? It's possible that could happen. It's hard for me to believe it would get to that point, but you never know. It was hard to believe that we saw a speaker vote that took 15 rounds to as several lawmakers said uh, earlier this week, they said, buckle up. This is a shit show. It certainly feels like one. Isn't it wonderful too, as you were just describing it, looking for someone to blame, that that's what everything is about, is how do we make sure that depending on what the outcome is, that we have someone to blame? That's just such a lousy way to, to run a country. What role does the impeachment inquiry play? Does it matter? Well, I think, you know, what's interesting is that McCarthy clearly misplayed his cards here. He thought that opening an impeachment probe, he thought that he was going to secure the right wing on some of these spending issues that he could at the very least buy time and get a short term spending bill passed, if not this week, before the government officially runs out of money. That goodwill that he bought lasted all of five minutes. Virtually every single member of the House Freedom Caucus said, these are completely unrelated issues. We're worried about the spending. We do not want to give in to McCarthy's deal to raise the debt ceiling. 
we don't want to give into those spending caps that he agreed to that the Senate and Senate Republicans are still agreeing to. They want to somehow extract more spending cuts through this process. And so giving them an impeachment probe really did not work at all. And what it may have done and what I wrote this week was that it may have hurt McCarthy's relationship with Hakeem Jeffries. It may have hurt his ability to get Democratic votes that he will need to stay as speaker. So it's a complete mess. And and the reason that McCarthy did it the way he did, and he kind of you know quickly announced that there'd be an impeachment probe, is that he doesn't have the votes in his own caucus to pass an impeachment probe. There are plenty of Republicans on the moderate wing of the party who come from these swing districts who do not want an impeachment probe. There are others, even conservatives like Ken Buck from Colorado, who say there's no evidence yet. Let's get the evidence first. If there's evidence, then let's move forward with an impeachment probe. But as anyone who's been paying attention to this, there is no evidence that Joe Biden took any money from his son, his son's business, or any of the things that his son is alleged to have done. And they can go on Fox News and they can call it a Biden crime family all they want, but there's no evidence pointing to any of this. It's really the most remarkable thing. It's probably the weakest impeachment case ever made. So was that speaker malpractice on McCarthy's part? Why would he go forward? It was like a Hail Mary. Why would he go forward on it if he doesn't have the support for the inquiry among his caucus on the floor for the full inquiry? If he was doing this to try to win over the hard right or win over the Freedom Caucus, why didn't he have that sewn up before he announced it? Why wouldn't you get something in advance? He did not have the votes. It's not sure that he even decided that he might have the votes. He just kind of went in. He had a brilliant quote, one of the quotes of the day this week on Political Wire, where McCarthy said, I always have a plan. It doesn't mean it happens. I had a plan for this week. It didn't turn out exactly as I planned. Boy, that's the understatement of the day. I don't think he had a plan. What was your plan, man? There's no evidence that he had a plan, just like there's no evidence that there's a Biden crime family. But maybe he's flying by the seat of his pants, or maybe he's just not very good at this. You know, a lot of people have been surprised that he's lasted this long in the speaker's job, given the tensions in his caucus and given how he's actually not that good at this. He's certainly no Nancy Pelosi, so to speak. We'll see how that all plays out. But it's going to be a really interesting September and unfortunately not such a great one for our country. So the other top Republican name who made this an interesting September this week, Mitt Romney. Willard Mitt Romney to some, right? Let's talk about Mitt's exit interview. You wrote this week, Romney, who just announced that he would not seek re-election next year, gave an extraordinary interview to McKay Coppins on why he was leaving the U.S. Senate. This is part of McKay's new book, Romney, A Reckoning. One of his most striking lines, quote, a large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution. (laughs) That is unbelievable, but okay. Romney also noted the duplicity of many in his party. Quote, in public, of course, they played their parts as Trump loyalists, often contorting themselves rhetorically to defend the president's most indefensible behavior. But in private, they ridiculed his ignorance, rolled their eyes at his antics, and made incisive observations about his warped, toddler-like psyche. Romney recalled one senior Republican senator frankly admitting, quote, he has none of the qualities you would want in a president and all of the qualities you wouldn't want. On how the battle for the Republican Party's soul has been lost, quote, from the book, it was hard to dispute that the battle for the GOP soul had been lost, and Romney had his own soul to think about. He was all too familiar with the incentive structure in which the party's leaders were operating. He knew what it would take to keep winning, the things he would have to rationalize. 
you can always convince yourself that the other party or the other candidate is bad enough to justify your own decision to cross that line. And the problem is that line just keeps getting moved and moved and moved, Romney said. My first question for you, does what Romney said in this interview matter? Does the fact that he's leaving the Senate matter? Both really good questions. You know, Mitt Romney was a key senator involved in, you know, some of the bipartisan compromises that we have seen, such as the infrastructure bill that was passed last year. He worked quite closely with Kirsten Cinema and with Joe Manchin to bridge that gap between the parties. And so will that type of negotiation happen without Romney there? It's hard to imagine that Romney is going to be replaced with someone who is more willing to work with the other party on anything. So will it matter? It might matter. It might matter actually a lot if you take a senator like that out of the mix. Particularly, you have a situation where Cinema and Manchin, they might not run for re-election either. You might have three senators who work in this in-between-the-parties area in the Senate. You might have them all gone come January 2025. And so, yeah, would that matter for the Senate? It absolutely would. Does it matter for the Republican Party? I mean, I think Mitt Romney, I think that's really kind of what has driven him to decide not to run for re-election. This is what he doesn't say. Number one is I think he'd get beat in a primary, even in Utah, which is not the most Trump-friendly red state out there. But nonetheless, I think Romney saw that he would probably lose that primary, even though he claims that he would win it. But the second thing is, I just don't think that he sees that there's a place for him in this Republican Party anymore. And that's the really remarkable thing about everything that we've heard today from McKay's book, is that Romney, who just 11 years ago was the Republican presidential nominee, doesn't really have a place in the Republican Party anymore. That's amazing. That leads to the other question that I really had about Romney. I don't mean this as rudely as the question's going to sound. Does Romney matter historically? (laughs) As I was thinking about it, has he been the least consequential, consequential figure or the most consequential, inconsequential figure? Here's what I mean. I went back and did a rundown of his political career. He lost to Ted Kennedy in 94. He won the Massachusetts governorship in 2002, started in January of 2003. Not even three years later, on December 14th, 2005, he announced that he would not seek re-election as governor. So he had finally won something. And in less than three years, he said, I'm not going to run again as governor. He wanted to focus on the presidency. He was a one-term governor. He lost the Republican nomination in 08, as you just mentioned, lost the presidency in 2012. In 2016, he had that embarrassing dinner with Trump, hoping he'd be Secretary of State after saying Trump should never be president. That didn't happen. In 2018, okay, he was elected to the Senate, but then he votes twice for impeachment and tries to take the role of conscience of the Republican Party, and no one listens. Now he's retiring, and by the way, says Biden and Trump should retire too, which is just another piece of advice from Mitt Romney that no one's going to listen to. Does Mitt Romney matter historically? That's a pretty fascinating question. I mean, I think Mitt Romney will end up mattering historically, but he's a bit of a political shapeshifter, you know? Each of these races, he's veered from the center towards the right, back to the center. 
his race against Ted Kennedy in 1994. You know, we were graduate students at that time. We were in Massachusetts and we were actually watching that race. And he ran as a very conservative Republican in a state that you're wondering, how on earth are you going to possibly win this race running against, you know, the liberal lion, Ted Kennedy? And he ran very far to the right. When he ran for governor, he moved right to the center. He governed as a moderate as well. The healthcare plan that he actually passed in Massachusetts was the basis for what Obamacare became, you know, years later. I mean, pretty fascinating history there. So he is consequential there as well because the federal healthcare plan was actually based on what he did in Massachusetts. But then, you know, when he ran for president the first time, he realized running in a field that John McCain ultimately prevailed under, he realized that there's this side of the Republican Party that he is somehow he's not connecting with, which is this right wing side. And so he runs to the right. He starts taking very conservative positions. He decided in 2012, when he became the Republican nominee, to not do what John McCain did and pick Sarah Palin as his running mate. He decided to pick somebody more towards the moderate side of his party, the establishment side of his party, and he picked Paul Ryan. But yeah, it's not entirely clear at any given point what Mitt Romney actually believes. One of the reasons why he lost that race in 2012, aside from his 47% comment that was caught on tape, was the fact that he was portrayed as a flip-flopper, a guy who doesn't have any real backbone. And yet now, here he's announced his retirement, and it sure seems like in this book, McKay Coppin's book that's come out, sure seems like he's got a backbone now. He's naming names and he's talking about what he feels about certain senators, including J.D. Vance literally said, I don't know that I can disrespect someone more than J.D. Vance. I mean, that's a remarkable thing to say about your colleague that you're still going to be working with for the next year and a half, at least. It's really fascinating to watch how how Romney has moved back and forth. And, you know, he's obviously, he's consequential in the fact that he was the Republican nominee. He lost to Obama, but, you know, at times it seemed like it was going to be a closer race. He certainly was the only Republican senator to ever vote against the president of his own party who was impeached. And he did it twice. He's an interesting character. Is he a profile in courage? I don't think so. But is he interesting? I think he's interesting. I think historians will be writing about him. I agree with that. Historians will be writing about him. He is interesting. I just wish that he were more consistent. I think he has beliefs. I think he has things he believes in. I mean, you just went through a litany that would quickly disprove my wishful thought. People who I have had the pleasure of interacting with, who have interacted with him, have said that he's a a good guy. But man, at the times when it could have mattered, and to your point, naming names now in the book on the way out, that's not the time to do it. He had other times. So I come back to that question. You just said, yes, you do think he's consequential, which then I would argue would make him you know, one of the least consequential, consequential figures. But I'm not sure he actually, in the end, was consequential. I think he showed up in a lot of scenes. You know, when we play the movie, the actor who plays Mitt Romney will get a lot of screen time, but I'm not sure that that actor will make a lot of impact. There is one scene, the dinner that Romney had with Donald Trump uh, during that transition period that I will always remember, and it's that picture. Do you know what that's the look of, the look on his face in that picture? Besides indigestion? (laughs) It's the look of someone who just had his Achilles tendon snap. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Jets fans. Sorry, Jets fans. Talk to you next week, Tegan. See you, Chris.